SCP-7070 Amaranthine Humans are ultimately fallible, and they make mistakes. Some make more than others, and some make bigger mistakes than others, but to err is a universal trait. When the SCP Foundation makes mistakes, people die, or worse, and it stands to reason that they may occasionally look for alternatives to fix these mistakes. One solution that comes up on occasion, to varying degrees, is the use of an artificial intelligence in handling information or making decisions to help with containment. SCP-7070 involves perhaps the most extreme use of an AI that the Foundation could resort to, but desperate times call for desperate measures. In the wake of a horrific apocalypse, sometimes it's easier to let a machine take the wheel, even if that may not be the best approach in the long run. Let's take a look. The article begins with an image of a large, spherical object in the sky, dripping a black substance, and a caption reading, The black moon howled, and the earth heard its screams. We're then provided a file from the personal recordings of 05-5, dated as December 12, 2098. It's a transcript of an encounter between 05-5 and 05-13, taking place on the observation deck of the Tilda Moose Memorial Hall in Neo Site 19. 055 stands on a balcony overlooking a forest, suffering from the black blight. Small amounts of dark ash occasionally break away from the scene, displaced by the wind. Ash floats towards the balcony, but it disintegrates on contact with the force field surrounding Neosite 19. In the distance, large biodomes are sunk into the earth, each containing a shielded, foundation-run city. Above all of this, a hollow, enlarged moon, its surface marked by jagged incisions, rests in the night sky. From its wounds, the moon secretes a dark, viscous liquid. It stains the webbing of the protective veil mechanism that surrounds the Earth. From all this, we learn a few things. One, we're in the future, after some sort of apocalyptic event. Two, large portions of the Earth seem to have been affected by something called the Black Blight, turning it to dark ash. Three, there's something very wrong with the moon, or a moon, which has been sliced open and is now leaking a dark liquid. Fourth, the foundation is still around and protecting humanity, having shields around both the cities and the earth itself. 05-13 approaches 055 from behind, her cane clacking against the concrete floor. She says that there's beauty in all of this. Visually, not literally. Yet, after the howling, life clings on, continuing despite it all. In the cities, in the blightlands, and everywhere in between. Five asks her what she needs, to which she just says that she needs company. She's held this role for some time, and known the rest of the council for decades. 
Comparatively, five is rather new to her, so she has another twenty years before she can shoo her away that easily. Five then asks her what she really needs, causing Thirteen to smile, and mention the Centennial Summit next week, celebrating two hundred years of the Foundation. She wants to make sure Five is attending, to which Five says that she'll make time, and asks if everyone else will show. Thirteen, however, doesn't think they will, which is why she wants to make sure that Five will be there at the very least. There are things that they need to discuss prior to the council meeting in private, and asks if she has time now. A device on Five's person suddenly beeps, though, and she says that she doesn't, as the Oracle AI has given her a new assignment, a rescue effort in Sector 54. A group of survivors are in the ruins of a town, and seem to be another cargo cult. Thirteen tells her that she's an overseer now, and doesn't have to keep doing field work. Five, however, says that it doesn't feel right to stop, not when she knows what it's like out there. She begins to walk away, but asks Thirteen why she calls her by her real name, Rebecca. Thirteen says that she does the same for all of the council members, as she knew them all before they joined, and that's how she thinks of them. Rebecca responds that she shouldn't hold on to the past, but Thirteen says that she doesn't, but one needs to know where we came from to know where we're going. She wants to send Rebecca some files to read, but she says that she doesn't have time to read anymore. Thirteen responds that she's spreading herself too thin, to which Rebecca just says that she's taking after the organization she represents. Afterwards, Rebecca logs onto a terminal to communicate with the Oracle AI, who informs her that she has one urgent reminder and 530 unread messages. It also mentions that the Centennial Summit is set to occur in three days and 17 hours, and she has yet to confirm her attendance. Rebecca tells it that she's not filling out paperwork right now, but the few O5s that she's spoken to know that she'll be there. Oracle then asks her if she'll be resuming her research, and Rebecca confirms that she'll be looking further into SCP-7070, asking for the present iteration and the last update before the howling, from June 2048. Oracle informs her that she's about to read a file predating the Black Moon incident, and as such, information contained within may be inaccurate. Philosophies and behaviors predating the Howling may be seen as immoral today. Also, this request has been logged, and extensive research into Level 6 slash Black Moon class documents may be subject to review by the O5 Council. Rebecca isn't too bothered by that, and she proceeds. The first iteration of the 7070 document lists its containment class as Keter, and the description states that it is the SCIPnet network, the database containing the totality of the SCP Foundation's knowledge. Established in 1960 as a way to digitize and preserve Foundation records, it has progressed into the organization's primary means of communicating across sites, with every secure facility having a connection to it. 
The servers for the network possess storage capabilities far beyond what their specifications should allow, currently hosting over 500 petabytes of information, a number that grows exponentially every year. It's unknown if there is an upper limit to the amount of data the network can process and store, and they are currently responsible for hosting files on every anomaly documented by the Foundation, of which, as of 2048, there are over 30,000. It also holds a complete database of research papers and lab work carried out by the Foundation, private and public channels for site-to-site -site communication, including an email network, a messaging service, and a record of every communication between personnel. Additionally, it has over 50,000 extensive profiles on all personnel employed since the organization's inception, 3 million extensive profiles on persons of interest and anomalous individuals across the world, an automated backup of all information contained within, with frequent integrity checks, and it has access to the internet, with the ability to manipulate and process information on a worldwide scale. That's all well and good, but the real anomaly here is SCP-7070-1 which refers to documents within the database of unknown origin. These usually take the form of SCP files, and describe entirely fictitious objects, events, persons, and information. These documents are often accompanied by falsified or otherwise impossible metadata, including edits by non-existent Foundation personnel. While the majority of these unknown documents are incomprehensible, there are a number of motifs and lines consistent across all of them. The predominant one is a mention of the Black Moon, a phrase of ill-defined significance and meaning. These documents, if left unattended, will corrupt and alter data within the database, bypassing built-in edit authorization software. Alterations can occur seconds after the creation of an anomalous document, ranging from slight changes in naming conventions or numbers, to larger falsifications of entire events and objects in existing files. Removal of an anomalous file cannot be performed manually, as doing so will create an identical instance in its place. Permanent deletion is presently only possible through the completion of a thaumaturgic ritual. So yes, unknown computer files started randomly appearing across the Foundation's database, and if not deleted, they started to modify the real files, including all sorts of non-existent objects and people into the documents. Clicking delete on these weird files didn't help as this would just create another one automatically, so the Foundation's only choice was to enact a magical deletion ritual. Theoretically, that's fine, but we're informed that over 10,000 instances of these anomalous files are created every day, and that number has been increasing every year since 2030. Extensive research into the phenomenon is therefore limited, as the Foundation's resources are becoming increasingly exhausted each year. We're given an email that was sent by the SCIPnet head technician to the O5 Council back in 2030, during the early days of the crisis. The technician reports that employing a duo of on-site thaumaturgists seems to be an active containment solution 
for the SCP-7070-1 file situation. At the current rate of 10 instances generated per day, they have seemed to work out a doable balance when it comes to logging and exorcising them in a timely fashion. Any alterations are easily flagged and reverted minutes later, and they can safely say that the technical backbone of the Foundation has been spared from any lasting damage to its infrastructure. He says that there's still room to investigate any potential causes of these manifestations, which the technical research team feels is worth looking into due to the potential security risks within the Foundation's own network. With the O5's permission, they would like to begin testing on the servers in an attempt to uncover more in-depth information about the Black Moon documents. They've sent over dozens of research proposals, and they hope that their technical mastery will inspire confidence that this team is capable of fielding storms without sinking the ship. The O5 Council did, of course, approve, so the research team performed a series of tests to try and figure out why these Black Moon documents were showing up. They tried introducing a web crawler into the servers that had the capability of performing a techno-thaumaturgic ritual that could remove the documents automatically. While this worked initially, after a week the creation rate increased from 10 a day to 50, and the web crawler became barely capable of keeping up with the added workload. Another test involved introducing some scripts to the server that would automatically redirect the Black Moon documents to a quarantine server detached from the main database. This ended up failing, as the files would still affect the server's data regardless of where they were redirected. Instance production increased from 50 a day to 175, so all testing was immediately halted. No tests were performed for two years, until another experiment was done in which web crawlers were introduced that placed a blacklist on any new file that contained phrases found in the Black Moon documents. This also failed, as the filters were able to detect the file creation but were unable to stop the new files from appearing. Instance production increased from 175 a day to 330. The following year they tried one more thing, which was wiping the entire database and installing entirely new hardware. Backups of the database were downloaded, free of any of the Black Moon documents. This too failed, as Black Moon documents continued to manifest and instance production increased from 330 to 650 per day, so testing was permanently halted. Following the implementation of the new servers, the phenomenon began increasing on its own without foundation prompting, usually in an increment of one additional instance each day. The head technician eventually wrote another message to the council, telling them that they are struggling. They stopped fighting years ago when they realized that meddling with it increased the amount of instances, but even though they've stopped, the anomaly hasn't let up. Even with the increased funding, the covenants of thaumaturgists inhabiting the site, the hundreds of web crawlers, and the revolving door of personnel on his team, they're losing. They have been throwing around some ideas though, when they're not too exhausted to talk. 
They've thought about destroying the whole site, rebuilding SCIPnet from the ground up, and even foregoing the idea of their own privatized network entirely. When their greatest para-cyber technology is unable to handle something as superficially simple as a self-sustaining virus, they're left with remarkably little options. Some of the team want to toss an AI at it, maybe one that could do all of their jobs for them, including the searching, the logging, and the ritual. Others feel that there's a solution in cross-testing the anomaly with other objects, but he's not in a position to authorize that. It may be time to accept that SCIPnet is compromised. 0513 responds to him, saying that she appreciates the difficult position he's in, but frankly their resources are stretched enough as it is. Whilst they appreciate the criticality of accurate information, database corruption will not take precedence in the race for time and resources over teams and units dealing with tangible anomalies in need of containment, no matter how severe it is. If some of his men think that an AI is a valid solution, then they should test it out. There's been talk for a while about implementing a construct to manage the entirety of SCIPnet. She also tells him to expect an invitation to a more thorough conference soon enough. While she's more than convinced that an AI is a potential solution, there still remain some persistent issues that she would prefer to discuss in a different medium. Following this message, the SCIPnet team began designing an AI capable of both managing the database and hypothetically containing the Black Moon documents. The AI wouldn't be implemented for several years, and were given a brief table showing the increase in daily volumes of Black Moon documents, starting with 10 a day in 2030, 700 a day by 2035, 2,000 a day by 2045, and 3,500 each day by 2048. Rebecca then stops the document, telling Oracle to bring up data from June 22, 2048, with a blow-by-blow -blow account of the day's events. Oracle does so, informing her that its repository of documents from this date is incomplete. We're then given a transcript of a phone conversation between two Foundation employees from 9.23am on the 22nd. One of the employees is calling about a problem with a document the other one emailed over. The problem seems to be that there's no text on their version of the document, only black circles. Just rows and rows of black circles. Fifty minutes later, seismic activity was detected at Lunar Area 32, with several deep moonquakes occurring. Around the same time, the Secretary of State for Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs in the UK was giving a speech on climate change. He states that the science is undeniable, and so he stands before them today to ask one important question above all others. Does the Black Moon howl? The crowd murmurs in confusion, and an aide walks up to him to whisper into his ear, but he waves her away and continues. He says that the answer is yes, 
It howls and it screams and it furiously gnashes its teeth at us. Blood begins to drip from his nose, but he continues on, saying that there is no escape, no recourse, no opportunity for forgiveness. It is here, and it is vengeful, and he doesn't know why. He asks if anyone can tell him why, before beginning to sob, his tears a mixture of water and blood. He begs anyone to just tell him why before collapsing. The seismic activity on the moon increases, with the largest moonquake ever detected occurring, and a little over an hour later, the entirety of personnel assigned to Site-19 report being locked out of their workstations with their passwords no longer being recognized. Upon investigation, the passwords of all staff members had been changed to Howl. On the moon, the seismic activity continued to steadily increase, as an expedition crew prepares to embark onto the surface to perform maintenance on a monitoring relay. As the quakes ramp up, the crew pause and steady themselves, as anything not fixed in place shakes with the vibrations and stacked cargo boxes topple over. The quakes only get more intense, and the cargo bay's exterior wall is ripped in two as a large fissure appears in the ground. The pressure difference results in the base's air flowing outwards, taking objects and the crew members with it. The fissure then significantly widens, fully exposing all four sublevels to the vacuum of space. Lab equipment, anomalies, and all 132 employees stationed at the facility float upwards out of the area and into the lunar atmosphere. Meanwhile, an MTF calls a site during a standard containment effort, stating that they've detained the subject, but the pinger is going off like crazy. It's informing them that there are 18 assignments in the surrounding area, and they want to know how they should prioritize them, and if there's any relation to their current assignment. They hear only static in response, during which time another five assignments show up. They then hear back from the operator, telling them that those pings are emergency SOS alerts, as there was a minor containment breach at Site 74, and they're getting it under control. They're relying on reserve power since SCIP nets having difficulties, so they tell them to just get back to the site. A loud noise can then be heard from the surrounding area, and several MTF operatives call out, one of them telling the leader that they need to come outside to look at this. The operator says that they're suffering from an emergency alert themselves, so they should return to base immediately, but they get cut off. The task force leader then turns to look up at the sky, asking, why is it bleeding? We're then provided with the last known broadcast from Lunar Area 32, which reads, Attention all civilians. Your country is in a national state of emergency. Great danger is present outside of your home. Please retreat to the nearest form of shelter. Contain yourself. If you possess weapons, 
arm yourself and prepare for the event in which you may use them. The national consensus of your superiors is that self-termination via any means necessary provides the best course of action. Moments of suffering for you and your loved ones will pale in comparison to what will come should you choose to continue. The average household contains multiple exit solutions. Your body contains multiple exit solutions. Everything around you can be used as a weapon. Pain will last only for as long as you are alive. Should you lack the faculties necessary for immediate self-termination, proceed outside. Opportunities for such action will become apparent. The Moon Child You can hear the daylight's death. You can hear it. At a terminal at Site-120, someone tried entering a series of commands calling for security assistance and medical assistance. The system, however, only returned errors before repeating the word HOWL again and again. A transcript of a phone call between 05-2 and 05-13 has 13 asking how many confirmed containment breaches they have so far. 2 says that they're unsure and of the 563 worldwide secure facilities, only 32 remain online. But that's with the data they have, as SCIPnet is entirely down. They've tapped ground communications, and there's breaches in almost every major city, with emergency service lines flooded, on top of what's happening with the moon. All of the task forces are deployed, but it's not enough, so two of the O5s are contacting known groups of interest. Thirteen asks if sites are maintaining their power, as otherwise the nuclear failsafes could be a problem, but two says that the system's been overridden using the administrator's master commands, and it's not their nukes that they should be worried about. Both the US and Russia are apparently talking about using nukes, and 051 is currently on his way to Yellowstone to possibly activate SCP-2000. 052 ends the conversation by saying that he can't howl in everyone's ear, and he can't bleed like he used to. The remainder of the document consists of a slow gradient from white to black, with the word howl being repeated over and over. It ends with the text, does the black moon howl, and Oracle states that there's no other data available from this day. We're next provided the current iteration of the SCP-7070 file, which is now given the object class of Yesod, a very sparingly used containment class meaning Foundation in Hebrew, which is said to be used when the anomaly is a central part of the Foundation's structure. SCP-7070 is the reconstructed SCIPnet network, the database containing the totality of the SCP Foundation's knowledge. In 2048, the Earth experienced a catastrophic event, referred to as the Black Moon Incident. Whilst the cause of this incident remains unknown, 
Events on the day of the incident indicate a connection to SCP-7070-1, a form of data corruption experienced by the previous version of the network. Not only was the vast majority of the database corrupted, but motifs and phrases associated with SCP-7070-1 proliferated across all forms of information, including civilian databases, noospheric concepts, speech, and written text. Those affected by this corruption experienced significant psychological trauma. In addition to this, a toxic substance, subsequently named Black Blight, was released from the moon, resulting in 72% of Earth's landmass being rendered uninhabitable and irreversible corruption to the ecosystem. Over the course of a single day, an estimated 5.5 billion casualties occurred, alongside catastrophic damage to the planet's infrastructure. Curiously, since this incident, no new anomalies have been discovered. In the wake of the incident, the SCIP-Net entered a state of prolonged stasis due to the corruptive influence of the Black Moon documents affecting the entirety of the network's files with servers remaining inaccessible and their contents incomprehensible. This drastic loss of communications left the Foundation unable to mobilize its resources efficiently, resulting in a semi-lifted veil state, where the organization openly and publicly cooperated with world governments to address the fallout. Since a significant portion of global infrastructure and civilian populations had been displaced, destroyed, or lost, most of these efforts were focused on securing resources and outlining potential futures for humanity. After a period of global strife and unrest, the network was reconstructed by the Foundation in 2052, which was only made possible due to the neutralization of the Black Moon documents by the Oracle AI. The Foundation began construction on Oracle in the months following the Black Moon Incident, an effort that was aided by the Global Reconstruction Effort, a conglomerate of numerous world governments and groups of interest, who assisted the Foundation due to the urgency of the global situation. There were numerous calls from involved parties to devise an automated solution to the world's overwhelming, compounding dilemmas. Oracle was devised to be the most comprehensive artificial intelligence ever constructed, the world's first collective superintelligence, composed of the minds of all Foundation personnel. Connection to Oracle is introduced via a microscopic series of thaumaturgic sigils surgically inscribed onto the brain, a mandatory process for all Foundation personnel. This is non-intrusive and has no effect on an individual's autonomy or baseline capabilities. Upon introduction to SCIP-Net, Oracle neutralized the anomaly and retrieved a comprehensive backup of the data prior to the Black Moon incident. In the decades since, Oracle has provided the guiding doctrine on how best to achieve containment and maintain the veil in the wake of the Black Moon incident. To prevent overreach, Oracle is bound by a sole guideline in the form of the Foundation's prime objective, 
that being that the Foundation's mission is to re-establish normalcy through secure containment, in a way most efficient in the current state of the world. As such, Oracle is constrained by the Foundation's mandate to re-establish society in a way that complements the organization's goals. As of 2098, Oracle manages the entirety of the Foundation's operations, prioritizing and assessing anomalous threats as they occur, mobilizing task forces, and generating the most efficient methods of containment. In addition, Oracle is responsible for the construction and oversight of all Foundation exclusionary cities, including resource distribution, traffic flow, utilities management, and civilian surveillance. So to summarize, the Foundation has set up what could be called a robocracy, or a cyberocracy, using an AI to handle all aspects of containment, protection, and city management. This AI is a superintelligence, consisting of the connected mind power of every Foundation employee, thanks to some tiny, magical symbols inscribed onto their brains. We'll have to see how that works out. We're next given a partial transcript of a speech that 0513 gave during a Global Reconstruction Effort Conference in 2052. She stands at a podium in Neo Site 19, with multiple high-ranking members of the Global Reconstruction Effort seated behind her, including remaining members of the O5 Council, the Oracle Head Technician, and world leaders from various countries. There are hundreds of Foundation personnel present, the majority of which are armed and outfitted in military gear. O513 thanks everyone for being here, and is grateful that they could hold this ceremony amidst all the multitudes of pressing duties that would require them elsewhere. She states that her name is Sophia Light, O513, and says that at one point, revealing your identity as an overseer was tantamount to treason. It still is, but on paper, the Foundation is still an organization dedicated to containing the anomalous, upholding a curtain to the rest of the world. For all the progress they've made, and the sacrifices that have occurred over the past four years, one fact remains. The Foundation failed. There's a moment of silence, as some members of the reconstruction effort look at her with confusion. She continues, saying that if they hadn't failed, they would not be sitting underneath a bleeding sky, or be using empty containment cells for supply storage and shelter. They wouldn't have to cope with the knowledge that their loved ones have succumbed to the black blight, living like animals in the desolate wastes that surround their encampments. This is not what she was asked to say today, but they failed. And in the face of that failure, there still remains a hope, however childish, that they may bounce back. That they can hit a switch and return to the way it was. She says that they've tried, and there's a screaming sinkhole where Yellowstone used to be. During the initial fallout, governments and organizations approached the Foundation, begging them to do something. 
They knew that the Foundation had exhausted all of their resources, but they still asked. They came to them because of an idea. The idea of the Foundation, an organization which had miraculously succeeded against impossible odds for over a century. How could that Foundation fix this? They were asked to create something that could coexist alongside and above them, to embody the tenets that they hold inside of them without placing responsibility in the hands of a select few. And so, she would like to unveil the Foundation's Ark, humanity's life raft, a project that has been pushed into completion as it is their last possible option the Oracle Collective Superintelligence. Chances are, the people in attendance here worked on completing it, and chances are, they're already a part of it. She says that this is their last chance. Oracle will ideally eliminate the factor of chance from the global equation entirely. It will efficiently chart a course for the world's future, and how best to achieve it. As Foundation personnel, they should consider their mandatory participation a penance to reconcile with the past. The Foundation is not accepting transfers or resignations from the organization for the foreseeable future, and she believes that they understand their reasons. She finishes by saying that she knows that they never asked for any of this, before walking off the stage visibly upset. Following the establishment of Oracle, the reformed O5 Council elected to process all decisions and strategic matters through the AI and execute the solutions provided by it. We're given an abridged log of these decisions, starting with the Council telling it that they developed it to manage the entirety of the SCIPnet network to combat the Black Moon documents, and to chart the Foundation's course in a world ravaged by the Black Moon incident. Whilst testing has been successful, they have yet to find a way to reach the processing power necessary for Oracle to function 24-7, make simultaneous decisions, and monitor the entirety of the Foundation's data. Oracle responds with some suggested hardware updates to itself which have been redacted, and the Foundation proceeded to implement these new components. Oracle reached a level of processing power previously unheard of, and since all subsequent testing was successful, the AI was deemed ready for full implementation. The next problem had to do with contact being lost with 64% of Foundation locations due to the Black Moon incident with an unknown number of facilities uninhabitable or devoid of function. Oracle reconstructed a detailed map of all Foundation facilities from data previously believed irretrievable, and included statistical probabilities that they possessed working technology, the chances of dangerous anomalous interaction, and the possibility of survivors. Oracle then devised a stratagem which prioritized facilities by utility, with hundreds of solutions for potential outcomes should the Foundation attempt to re-establish connections with them. 
With each successive reclaimed facility, the Foundation would add more data to Oracle's purview, allowing for a constant reassessment of this strategy. Oracle's strategy proved successful, and within four years, the Foundation had re-established or rebuilt 53% of facilities that were in areas that Oracle deemed inhabitable. An interconnected supply line of Foundation resources, facilities, and personnel were developed in tandem with other relief efforts carried out by the global reconstruction effort, strengthening the collective influence of all groups involved. The 27th decision made by Oracle involved the problem of 83% of agriculture and other food sources being affected by the Black Blight. A GH-class dead greenhouse scenario was estimated to occur within 10 years. Oracle suggested the construction of hydroponic farms, with civilian diets in the interim period being supported at the global reconstruction effort encampments by controlled lapses in the containment of SCP-871, the self-replacing cakes. The construction of hydroponic farms commenced, as did the use of SCP-871 to feed surviving populations, until every instance of 871 suddenly became infected with the Black Blight, leading to outbreaks of the disease in civilian populations across five encampments. On Oracle's recommendation, the anomaly has been neutralized and deficiencies in food supply are to be remedied by the recycling of matter from expired civilians. The death must not be related to the Black Blight. The 64th decision, in 2053, involved the Foundation lacking information on the large number of anomalies that breached containment during the Black Moon incident. Using the memories and knowledge of those connected to Oracle, they wanted Oracle to create a database of the present, estimated locations of anomalous objects that had escaped Foundation containment years prior. Using its predictive analytic capabilities, Oracle estimated the location, status, and threat level of all anomalies in the records which survived the Black Moon incident, a number estimated to be around 45%. In addition to this, Oracle opined on a topic not explicitly specified in the problem statement, mentioning that the Foundation could not resume containment efforts in the same manner as before the Black Moon incident. Research should be scaled back in favor of pure containment, given the fragile state of both the Foundation and the world. This suggested strategy was adopted and containment efforts progressed with increased levels of success. The majority of anomalies suffer from black blight, experiencing an overall degradation of their properties. Anomalies previously capable of locomotion are immobile, levels of sentience and sapience have decreased, and the effect of anomalous capabilities have waned or changed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. 
With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The 275th decision made by Oracle in 2056 involved the foundation's lack of manpower as the drafting of civilians or carrying out of operations inside fallout encampments is disallowed under global reconstruction effort agreements. Potential resources of all types are limited, so the O5s want Oracle to design a go-forward strategy prioritizing the Foundation's continued growth and stability. Oracle produced a detailed plan of clandestine activity intended to destabilize the global reconstruction effort, with operations including astroturfing with the use of mimetic agents and disinformation, sabotage, bribery, and intimidation. The Foundation proceeded to execute Oracle's plan over the following eight years, resulting in massive damage to the global reconstruction effort and its component groups. During this period, there were over 23,000 defections to the Foundation, bolstering its ranks and providing Oracle with intimate knowledge of the inner workings of other global factions. Behavioral profile analysis showed a positive correlation between an increase in levels of fear and paranoia to an increase in loyalty to the Foundation. The Foundation continued to use Oracle for many decisions over the following years, as Oracle's 2328th decision was made in 2064. The problem presented to Oracle this time was that the Foundation had been covertly approached by the three representatives of the global reconstruction effort. Vincent Anderson Jr. of Anderson Robotics, Lenora Dark of Marshall Carter and Dark, and DC Alfine of the Global Occult Coalition. All of the representatives suggested the pooling of organizational resources into the hands of the Foundation, as they were concerned with the overall power and capability of the global reconstruction effort. Oracle deemed the offers of Anderson and Dark to be agreeable and of a net benefit to the Foundation, but it stated that the goals and strategic aims of integrated GOC members would deviate to the point of a schism within the Foundation unless they're forcibly indoctrinated. Military conflict between the resulting factions is likely in 63.21% of generated scenarios. As a result, both Anderson Robotics and Marshall Carter and Dark were incorporated into the Foundation, but the GOC's offer was rejected. Another decision involved the Foundation being held to the doctrine of the opposing parties within the global reconstruction effort, and their initiative to re-establish the Veil and return the organization to complete containment will remain unfulfilled so long as they are unable to act without the opposition's oversight. The Foundation wants to dismantle the effort entirely. Oracle created a detailed strategy to subsume the global reconstruction effort's power. As the organization had been waning in influence over the Foundation as a whole, the strategy focused on folding willing groups within the effort into the Foundation, 
forced amnestization, and utilization of aggressive military campaigns on opposition within the effort. 83% of notable opposition was sourced from the GOC. Over the next year, the Foundation successfully dismantled the global reconstruction effort through controlled campaigns on various fronts. Upon recruitment of new members, Oracle was used to determine their loyalty to the Foundation, and their chances of defection. Those who fell lower on the scales were incorporated as D-Class personnel, or killed. As all surviving members of the effort were incorporated into the Foundation and are presently monitored by Oracle, the Foundation remains the most significant ruling power in the world, with no significant opposing factions. The 3,324th decision involved large portions of the surviving civilian population existing outside of Foundation encampments, often inhabiting ruined cities within the Blightlands. The Foundation wants to expand their own encampments across the world, to house and feed more civilians. Using satellite imaging capabilities, Oracle began to scan for survivor populations existing outside of the Foundation's encampments, including settlements, enclaves, and tribes with populations over 50. The Foundation made contact with these populations, offering them food, technology, and resources. Survivors were given the option of moving into the effort's encampments, or to remain alongside their settlements. Settlements and encampments were then interlinked, if possible, via trade routes and the establishments of infrastructure that would facilitate production of necessary resources and safe travel along them. Over 300 settlements were enrolled as recipients of the Foundation's benefits, although a number of surviving populations remained afflicted by the influence of the Black Blight. These groups were usually centered around the locus of a former SCP object, the source of the Blight's influence. Were then given a partial log of a few survivor recovery efforts carried out by the Foundation. One involved a potential human settlement in Sector 231, although confirmation was unable to be achieved due to a large amount of airborne black blight in the sector obfuscating imagery. Sector 231 sustained critical damage during the Black Moon incident, with an estimated 0.07% survival rate. Upon arrival, the field team encountered a group of 63 human survivors inhabiting a makeshift encampment, at the center of which was a formerly contained anomaly, SCP-173 albeit displaying little of its prior documented anomalous properties. Since rediscovery and containment, the statue has not moved. The community had survived by consuming SCP-173's output substance, and as a result, the anomaly had obtained an almost deific importance in the community's structure and culture. SCP-173 was recontained and transported to Neosite-02, where it was neutralized via hydraulic press, and incinerated. 58 survivors were transported to Foundation encampments, 
while five survivors expired as a result of their own resistance. Another mission arose when some of Oracle's drones detected fluctuating Hume levels in Sector 43 and assembled a team for deployment. 055 discovered an anomaly, formerly designated as SCP-999, although its appearance was that of a levitating cuboid structure composed entirely of an unidentified orange liquid. It was constantly emitting sounds similar to multiple humans screaming, and 483 people were found inside of it, each individual in a semi-catatonic state. The survivors frequently laughed, but did not respond to stimuli. SCP-999 was unable to be neutralized via conventional means, so a chamber was constructed around it with the exterior adorned with warning signs. A third mission involved the detection of a group of people alongside the Mississippi River, in an encampment that had been affected by an infectious condition, causing affected individuals and objects to permanently take on a texture reminiscent of television static. This resulted in an extreme loss of identity and memory, with affected instances transmitting this condition to objects they touched. Nearly the entire population had been affected, and the cause was determined to be from eating the body of SCP-3000, Anantashesha, as large bloated portions of it were found in the waters outside of the encampment. Sources confirmed that SCP-3000's body was also present in the Bay of Bengal, and it could not be determined whether or not the entity was dead. The population of the camp was unable to be recovered, save for a ten-year-old girl that had escaped the village and was living on her own in the forest nearby. She was taken into Foundation custody and enrolled in training. Another mission involved sending a recon team to assess the security of the former Site-19. Site-19 had sustained catastrophic damage during the initial incident, and the area was deemed too dangerous to be assessed until now. An audit of the status of anomalies still present was taken, with a few of particular note. SCP-682, the hard-to-destroy reptile, was still in containment at sublevel 52, with the backup generator still functional. It seemed to be dormant, with motion sensors showing no activity. Another SCP, the previous designation of which is unknown, had been altered by the Black Blight to the point of unrecognizability. It was a two-headed humanoid, which constantly emitted high levels of all known types of ionizing radiation. It was sapient and demonstrated the ability to speak, but all vocalizations were nonsensical. It was decommissioned via a single bullet to each head. Another one of note was SCP-055, the anti-meme, with the log stating that no changes observed since last visit. By 2066, the Foundation, thanks to Oracle's guidance, established a small system of infrastructure among civilian encampments, Foundation facilities, 
production plants and supply routes. They still had a big issue though, as they wanted the veil of secrecy to be re-established, so they went to Oracle for advice. Oracle advocated for the initiation of the Anwi protocol over civilian populations, which would involve mass amnestization. Reconstruction efforts, such as enhancing existing encampments to pre-2048 standards, could then begin. The Foundation enacted the Anwi Protocol, and the civilian population entered a fugue state. The Foundation proceeds to take control of remaining population hubs, and Oracle commences conversion of these surviving areas into domed, foundation-exclusionary cities. It does so by controlling 12,000 construction drones in addition to its regular activities. The Foundation then begins an ongoing campaign to fold all surviving populations into these cities. Unfortunately this eventually brings up a new problem a couple of years later. Prolonged exposure to ennui amnestics results in rising levels of amnestic resistance and amnestic sickness in the civilian population inside the exclusionary cities. Amnestics in general are predicted to be ineffective within 10 years. To combat this, Oracle suggests installing cybernetic ocular implants and neuroinhibitors in the civilian population using technology developed by Anderson Robotics. Ocular implants would obfuscate the perception of remaining outside anomalous activity and objects by civilians, as well as create a realistic simulation of how the world had looked prior to the Black Moon incident. The neuroinhibitors would enable Foundation control over civilian work, expediting reconstruction of society, as well as dampen complex thought processes and reasoning that would undermine the Foundation's goals. Combined, this would create the illusion that the incident had never occurred, and normalcy had been maintained. So, the AI suggests implanting every surviving civilian with cybernetic eyes and brain chips in order to fool them into thinking that they're still living their normal, boring, pre-apocalyptic lives. Or in other words, the Matrix. This is a pretty extreme plan, but the Foundation implements it, and the civilian population is also added to Oracle's computer network for the purposes of mass manipulation. As of 2070, the veil has been decidedly re-established for individuals existing inside Foundation exclusionary cities an estimated 70% of the world's remaining population. On December 15th, 2098, 30 years after that last decision, the second Foundation Centennial Summit will be held. This event was created as a means by the O5 Council to assess the state of the Foundation, what it had achieved over the previous century, and its future. We're given a transcript of an encounter between a number of the O5 members in a conference room at Neosite 19. Five individuals sit beside a large slab of black rock located at the center of the room. O513 is situated at the table's head, and several Foundation exclusionary cities can be seen in the distance out the windows. 
055 then enters the room, saying that she was about to apologize for her lateness, but it seems that she's not the latest. 0513 informs her that the rest won't be coming, and then says that the other council members do not exist. She's confused, and 056 says that the plan to fill her in before the summit went swimmingly. 0513 dismisses her sarcastic comment, referring to her as Miss Dark, and says to Rebecca that when the Black Moon incident occurred, the only survivors on the council were the previous 055, 058, 0511, and herself. No one's seen nor heard from 0511 in 20 years, as he's still holed up in his personal fortress. 055 has passed, and that leaves only herself and 058. She then glances towards 058, an old woman sitting huddled in her seat, staring down at the table and mumbling to herself. 056 says that it's easier to just mark 058 as an abstention on any votes they hold, as her mind left some time ago. 13 continues, saying that 051 died at Yellowstone, trying to prepare SCP-2000 for activation. 052 slit her own throat whilst on the phone with her. 059 turned to fifthism in a miserable attempt to transcend, but they all know how that ended. The others died, although she doesn't know how. In the aftermath, they did what they could, and as the creator of Oracle, it was natural to offer Thomas Holden a seat at the table in the 054 position. 054 says that it was very much a team effort, but 13 says that it was a team he led. When they merged with Anderson Robotics and Marshall Carter and Dark, they offered their leaders O5 positions as well, as O510 and O56 respectively. That was the council for a time, until O55 passed and Rebecca took his place. Rebecca asks why only bring her on board and not replace the other positions, to which O54 says that she was the first person Oracle recommended for the council. Her predecessor was a military man, and he thinks that she brings the same qualities he did, being bold and talking straight. Rebecca says that she's been part of the council for months now, working with all of them, so why didn't they mention this? 056 responds that they're mentioning it to her now, as months is nothing for an overseer. 0513 then calls out to Oracle after having typed something into a terminal. Oracle doesn't respond, and 13 says that she's disabled it for now so they can commence the meeting. Rebecca doesn't understand, so 054 explains that the summit stipulations state that only council members can partake, and whilst important, Oracle is technically not a council member. Rebecca then asks if the administrator will at least be in attendance, and after some silence, 13 responds that the administrator will not be in attendance, as he looked out at the world following the Black Moon incident and saw the destruction, the devastation, the damaged state of his beloved foundation, 
with over half his hand-picked council dead. He decided that he could look upon that world no longer. 056 says that things got tough and he threw in the towel, but 13 responds that it was not that simple. Rebecca says that she's spoken with the administrator when she was promoted to the council, and there are annual video messages from him sent to the whole foundation. 054 explains that this was all Oracle. After the howling, they didn't think that what was left of the foundation could survive knowing what happened to the administrator. He is the figurehead, and they couldn't tell the survivors that the administrator was gone. 056 says that he should tell her everything, to which Rebecca asks what else is it that she needs to know. 054 says that Oracle's power, its sheer capacity, is obtained in part through the thaumaturgic inscriptions on our brains. There was a progenitor to this, though. The administrator had a wealth of knowledge of the Foundation and the Anomalous. An abundance of anomalous knowledge can change you, though, and that stays with you even after death. They didn't want to let that power go to waste, and in the aftermath of the howling, they couldn't afford to. They installed what was left of the administrator into Oracle, and it worked. Oracle changed, upgraded, instantaneously, and it gave them a fighting chance. In the cold light of day, they did what needed to be done. Without the administrator, Oracle would not have worked, and without Oracle, the foundation would have collapsed. Without the foundation, there was no hope for the remnants of humanity. Even the global reconstruction effort understood that much, and at the time, the council was desperate. 0513 then says that that may have been true once, but not anymore, and it's time to shut it down. Rebecca is surprised that they want to shut down Oracle, but 0513 says that the Centennial Summit is held to determine the future of the Foundation and decide if the organization is still necessary, to ask whether or not this course is sustainable. So no, they're not just talking about shutting down Oracle, but the entire Foundation. Rebecca responds that the Foundation is the only reason why humanity still exists right now, but 0513 asks if she can call this humanity. Rebecca says that the Foundation pulled her from a survivor's tribe when she was 10, so she knows what the absence of humanity is. 13 tells her that blind loyalty is dispensed of at their rank for good reason and asks her to look at those cities filled to the brim with human cattle, an attempt to cling to what they once had. Rebecca says that living in an exclusionary city is better than living in the Blightlands, having to fight for yourself, not knowing what'll come next. They're happy in those cities, but 13 responds that they can't be anything else. Rebecca says that the Foundation succeeded, and to anyone in those cities, the veil had never fallen, and the howling had never occurred. The Foundation did the impossible and contained the Black Moon. Thirteen counters by asking, 
why the sky still bleeds then. They didn't counter anything, as it's more like they wrapped a bandage made of amnestics and synapse switchers over it. Oracle's directive was to uphold the Foundation, but at some point, what was best for the Foundation was not best for the world. Rebecca turns to the rest of the Council, asking them to say something, as this is madness. 054 says that they categorically have not contained the Black Moon, and if anything, he fears that worse is still to come. They've never proven the cause of the Black Moon incident, but he has his theories. They know the Black Blight wasn't in the moon naturally, as the Foundation conducted plenty of tectonic studies prior to 2048, and there was nothing to indicate its existence. Rebecca asks how this relates to Oracle, to which Four says that they also know the Black Moon was connected to the database corruption. They've been researching this, and they don't think the Black Moon caused the database corruption. They believe that it was the other way around, and the Foundation caused the Moon to bleed. Rebecca says that that's not possible, but 0510 says that in 2048, SCIPnet was the greatest repository of information on the Anomalous ever created. To bring together that knowledge into one place, to combine all that power in ones and zeros, and to leave it there together. The database corruption, the black moon, it's all connected. Four says that he developed his suspicions decades ago, after installing the administrator. An abundance of anomalous knowledge can change you, and they're making the same mistake again, except this time housing that information inside of the world's most powerful AI. He created Oracle, it's his life's work, and it was designed to help them survive the worst catastrophe mankind had ever experienced. But now they use it to tell them how to live. They've become dependent on it. 0510 says that he always admired the Foundation, even prior to joining it. An adamant pursuit of knowledge and scientific research. But under Oracle, that aspect of their work has been quashed. He says to look at the design of their cities, as they yearn for the past instead of facing the future. 056 then stands from her chair and gestures out the window, asking if they really think that this is the best possible future for humanity. Stagnated livestock in a global containment chamber. They haven't detected any new anomalies since before the howling, and the old ones are dead, or rotting away in the Blightlands. Rebecca asks what happens without Oracle, and people begin to starve to death and the inhibitors shut down. When the cities open up, and they realize their lives are a lie. Without the Foundation, how will they get resources? She spent her career rescuing survivors from the Blightlands, she doesn't want to damn them again. 0513 says that humanity's greatest strength is our adaptability, and our ability to make our own path. They will find a way as the hydroponic farms in each city are now active, and Oracle isn't needed to keep them running. 
It's time to give people back what the Foundation took from them. Rebecca tries to argue that they should at least ask Oracle about it, but Four says that enough is enough, and this is their decision to make. She calls them all suicidal, and says that what they're doing is genocide. O513 walks over and takes her hand, saying that when the Foundation found her, scared and alone on the banks of the Mississippi River in the shadow of SCP-3000, she was not there because of Oracle. It was luck, and her own ingenuity. No scripted event, no problem statement and response. She survived, and as a member of the Foundation, she's made her own choices, excelled in what she does, done her best to protect others. It's time they gave everyone the chance to do the same. Rebecca responds that this is the only world she's ever known, and even without the Foundation, they still have an obligation to help those people. If they're going to pull the rug out from underneath them and say that they were wrong to put it there in the first place, imagine how that will make them feel. If they're admitting fault, they're admitting that they stole their lives. She put so many people in those cities, knowing that she was doing the right thing. How is she supposed to suddenly feel remorse as she knows that they were doing the right thing? 0513 understands, but she promises her that another world is possible. This is not an end, but a beginning, and she'll have free reign to help who she wants, regardless of mission briefings arriving in her inbox. 13 returns to her seat, and initiates the vote. Screens emerge from the table, one in front of each council member, and they each display a single sentence. Shut down Oracle, dissolve the Foundation, along with three options, yay, abstain, and nay. Four of the O5s quickly vote, while Rebecca's finger hovers over her screen. Thirteen says that it's her call, but the vote needs to be unanimous. O5-8, the old woman, then interrupts and says to end it as this whole charade has run for far too long. The rest of the council is surprised, and Thirteen stands to make her way around the table. Eight says that they're so focused on the how, they forgot about the why. She then presses the screen in front of her on the yay button, and stares at Rebecca as she says that the decisions hardest to make are often the most frightening. Her gaze then drifts, and she resumes mumbling, so Rebecca votes. All of the present O5 members voted yay, and Four says to the former council members that it's been an honor. The council members then begin to leave the room, and Thirteen says to Rebecca that she's proud of her. What she did today was not easy, and she doesn't underestimate the difficulty she faced, she did try and warn her though, but she recalls her saying something about not having time to read. Rebecca chuckles, and the two fall silent for some time. She then turns to Thirteen, and asks her what happens now. Thirteen says that she doesn't know, and then smiles, 
before saying that that is the point. All right, so certainly not a typical apocalyptic article. The actual apocalypse is mostly glossed over, with only bits and pieces being revealed as we went along. We know that the moon split open and dumped a bunch of toxic goo across the planet, which corrupted and killed a whole lot of things, including the anomalous. What started as weird files self-inserting themselves into the SCP database spread across large parts of human consciousness, making plenty of people go crazy. There's a world of details missing about the actual disaster, but the Foundation stuck through it, creating an AI supercomputer powered by the brain power of every Foundation employee, which managed to stop the really bad stuff from continuing. The world was still a pretty rough place though, so the Overseer Council started using Oracle to make a lot of their decisions for them, which worked pretty well for a long time, even if some of its proposals were pretty radical. By 2098, much of humanity was kept in Foundation-controlled cities, with cybernetic eyes that made them think that nothing went wrong with the planet, and with brain chips in their heads that allowed Oracle to control them to a degree. The Council therefore had a tricky decision to make. They could continue on this path, using Oracle to make all of their decisions, working steadfastly in an attempt to bring the world back to the way it was before everything went wrong. They have no idea how long this could take, or if it even could ever be possible, with no SCP-2000 around anymore and the moon still belching out toxic goo. Instead, they could just step back and let humanity work out for itself on how to continue. Sure, many more people were likely to die in the process, but they'd be independent, free to chart their own course. It's an interesting dilemma and an interesting situation, and it's hard to say if the remainder of the council would all be so willing to step back. There is the matter of the theory that the Foundation caused the disaster initially, and could repeat it or even worse by letting Oracle continue, but it's also hard to say how well humanity would actually do when thrown back into that hellish apocalypse. A common saying among the Foundation is that they die in the dark so that you may live in the light. But sometimes there's only dark, and humanity has to live in it on their own. <laughs>